Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So what's the latest on Jameis Winston's thumb injury? Well, he didn't grip a football on Wednesday. Jeff Scott won the press conference when he was introduced as USF's new football coach. Can he win over recruits and ultimately games? We'll talk to Joey Knight, who covers the Bulls for the Tampa Bay Times. And the Tampa Bay Lightning have a busy homestand that begins tonight against the Boston Bruins. Then it's the Washington Capitals who visit on Saturday how will the Lightning fare against the two top teams in the NHL? We'll ask Diana Neros, who covers the Bolts for the Tampa Bay Times. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, if uh, you're like me, you're probably tired of paying these high electric bills. I know it's gotten a little cold. We've been running the heat a little bit. Then the air conditioner, electric's always going nuts. Well, if you want to save 90 to 95% on your electric bill, listen to me now. May Electric Solar. That's right. They're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar has the safest solar available. And they don't use high voltage like many other solar companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their parts, equipment, and labor. Uh, They have a showroom that's open weekdays. You can see their quality products. Now, May Electric Solar has been around for about 12 years, and they've earned a great reputation uh, among their customers and peers. There's a lot of companies out there imitating their uh, company and and trying to use their great name. But remember, they don't use subcontractors and they don't subcontract for any other company in any other way. It has to be May all the way. So let's stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills and start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And if you call right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 just by changing to solar energy. Call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. All right, Steve, I was at, uh, of course, the Bucks on Wednesday, and we had a chance to talk to Jameis Winston, who came to the podium wearing sort of a cast on his thumb as a precaution and then took it off. He did practice, but he was limited. Uh, and when I say limited, I meant he wasn't able to hold a football. <laughs> so that's about as limited as you can be as a quarterback when you can't so it was a walk through football. For him. It was a very much a, it was a walkthrough and a throwthrough, if you will, um, because he, uh, you know, while he was out there in uniform, he was taking his drops and going through the drills and, and sort of pantomiming uh, what what he would do at quarterback. He wasn't able to to grip the ball and throw it. And that's again, like, could he have done it? I'm sure um, it could be as late as Friday before he actually throws a football. No, I'm sure I'm not the first one to say this, but you know, since he didn't grip a football today or even take a snap, did he turn it over? <laughs> you know, somebody was they, – they were uh, people that were uh, that were tweeting at me and said, yeah, and I think Greg Allman put that he was pantomiming, um, you know, throws, and they said, and he pantomimed four interceptions and two fumbles <laughs> or something like Really cruel people out there, by the way. No, he was actually perfect. Every throw that he faked uh, hit his receivers in the hands and they caught all of them. So, um, yeah, it was kind of – it was kind of like that. But – um, look, hey, Ryan Griffin, who's on a roll, right? I mean, this guy finally got to play in a football game for the first time 
in in the NFL in his life. How about Ryan Griffin, by the way? Just spent a second on him. Turned 30 years old 21 days, uh, you know, before Sunday. When he was 30 years old in 21 days, when he finally got a chance to play in an NFL game, six and three quarter years into his career in the NFL, has made over five million dollars, but had never played taken a single snap in an NFL game. How do I get that? When James, uh, well, <laughs> you got to play pretty well actually to do it because. They're not just going to let you. I mean, I would. I qualify if I don't have to throw a pass. I could do it, um, but the problem is you might have to. So uh, you also have to perform pretty well in practice to uh, give the look look team uh, a good quarterback to go against. But um, it, it really is something. I mean, I've said this before. He's like the moonlight Graham of the NFL. And finally, um, because Winston came out and and I guess Jameis said to, on uh, Wednesday that he hurt his thumb in the two minute drill right before the half. He said he hit hit a helmet with his with his hand but since he goes you know you don't throw footballs at halftime in the locker room uh it wasn't until he came out and tried to grip one that he's like "Ooh, something's wrong here so they went x-rayed him of course and um ryan griffin got to go in and uh, could have played the whole second half for all he knew but he wound up playing just the one series and went uh two of four for 18 yards got him a first down and then uh, missed a third down throw to uh chris godwin um <clears throat> but it was significant because i mean here's a guy i mean quarterbacks you know, in the NFL, you, you really do have to prepare as if you're playing, even though, you know, with a guy like backing up a guy like Winston that's only missed three games in his career, um, you know, you're probably not going to see the field, but you still have to prepare like you are, and you have to do it and not take any reps during the week. And so it's, a, it, it's not like, you know, I'm a, I'm a backup tight end and I've got the route tree to learn and I just got to know my plays and maybe I'll be in when they go to a heavy package or something. No. You're the quarterback. You have to know everything. And you're the backup quarterback. You have to know everything and not get any reps at it. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a difficult job, but, but you, you prepare and you prepare. And so for almost seven years, um, Ryan Griffin, either as the number three or the backup quarterback, going all the, way, all the way back to New Orleans when he backed up Drew Brees and Luke McCown, um, you know, has had to get ready and never got to go into a regular season game. And so, boom, there he was. He finally did. Um, and I talked to him, you know, he's, he's kind of reticent to talk about it. It's not really a badge of honor, but believe me. Um, and he said this, he's glad this is behind him, right? This is the asterisk that he wanted to get, uh, wanted to get rid of. Uh, and he's worked his asterisk off as a matter of fact, to do that. Uh, and he finally, he finally got in the game, um, and, uh, performed pretty well. Of course, Jameis came back, uh, and, and then let a, let a comeback, uh, of another kind, uh, to win the game. Um, but this week, you know, Ryan is, is taking the reps, and um, he's not expected to start the game. They still think Jameis will play. But, but you know, with a fractured thumb, if you took a hit on that thing or hit a helmet with it again, you never know. So um, he's got to be ready to play. It was an interesting story uh, on Ryan Griffin in Tampa Bay.com and Tampa Bay Times if you guys get a chance to read it. And, of course, some of his teammates weighed in. Cam Brate's been his roommate forever. And just imagine coming home with this guy, you know, after every game. It's like, man, I'm never going to play. But um, – but yeah, almost almost seven years of uh, of waiting his turn, and he finally got a chance. So uh, good for him. Um, and then, as far as injuries go, you know, Mike Evans uh, will not play in this game. Uh, it looks, and, and ESPN has reported this. I, I wrote a uh, sort of an analysis column about it in the Tampa Bay Times on on uh, on Wednesday. Um, that they're going to be without their best player, and that has not happened here much. Uh, Mike Evans is in his sixth season. 
and he's missed all of three games, and he's never missed more than one in any any given season. Uh, now he could miss the last three, and so uh, you know that that means a lot to this offense, uh, just because Mike's presence is is one that uh, they rely on, uh, both you know as a receiver and just his leadership, but. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you know, Chris Godwin is going to be a marked man. He's going to be somebody that's going to draw a lot of double teams. He does anyway to some extent, but um, certainly more than his share now. Uh, and so you got to have to have guys that are going to have to play play big, like Justin Watson, who is sort of Mike Evans' backup. And then you've got Brashard Perriman, who, uh, you know, both those guys played really big, especially in the second half when Mike went out, you know, last week um, against the Colts. So they're going to need that. Uh, against Detroit, which is a, a, a capable defense at times. They've struggled scoring points. Um, but, you know, Matt Patricia is, is somebody that can really uh, design some some exotic schemes that, that your offense uh, hasn't seen, and um, he's going to be a challenge for them. But, you know, we're going to find out just uh, how much, uh, you know, the Bucks have relied and Jameis Winston, who has targeted, you know, Mike Evans more than any player he's ever played with. Uh, he'll be without him now for at least uh, the foreseeable future, maybe the rest of the season. So that's a bummer. And so uh, they're also uh, possibly missing Donovan Smith, their left tackle, who has never missed a start, uh, barely missed any plays in his career. He's nursing both knee and ankle injuries, so he's beat up in two areas. He didn't practice. This could be, you know, Josh Wells might have to play. This could be a really difficult uh, thing for the Bucks offense going into Detroit. Uh, but again, um, there's still two more days of practice to see, you know, just who and 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 when they will get out there. But uh, kind of a kind of a difficult injury list if uh, if you're the Buccaneers. And uh, look, they want to keep rolling. They want to win their fourth in a row. They'd like to win all six to finish the season nine and seven. Uh, that would tie a franchise record. And quite frankly, if you look at their schedule, you know, uh, they got. Detroit, their final road game, with a chance, by the way, to go 5-3 and three on the road, which most years, 5-3 and three on the road means you're going to go to the playoffs because if you duplicate that at home, you've got 10 wins, right? Uh, or if you do better than that at home, certainly you're going to go. So they've had a good road record. If they can go 5-3 and three on the road, then they come home, they play the Texans next Saturday. That's going to be their toughest game because the Texans are a playoff contender. And then they finish up with Atlanta, who they've already beaten, uh, earlier this year in Atlanta. So uh, an outside chance there to run the table, and that would really be remarkable for Bruce Arians' team considering sort of where they started. All right, Joey Knight joins us now, and he, of course, was there when Jeff Scott was introduced as the University of South Florida's head football coach. Joey, I got to tell you, um, you know, I, I saw sort of what he said with respect to United from start to finish, USF. That seemed like a pretty good marketing uh marketing thing um he won the press conference let's just say, say that right off the bat no question he won the press conference but you know who else won the press conference willie taggart two years ago at tallahassee so mm -hmm. that kind of tells you what winning the press conference is worth but that said and it's like i i said in my story that you know ran in today's tampa bay times first impressions mean something and yeah. jeff scott i mean he was prepared or he was briefed very well he hit on all the right points, everything that that audience of about 300 in an alumni center today wanted to hear. As a matter of fact, Rick, there's there were two or three times or more than that when he would make a statement and literally people would say amen or clap. <laughs> it was, you know, it was almost kind of like a like a church meeting or something. Um, but no, he 
he was he was on point today. Just you know, this is a this is a program that needs to engage its donor base, which is something that Charlie Strong didn't you know didn't particularly want particularly fond of doing. Um, Jeff got right to that. He said, "Hey, we're going to uh, we're going to recruit from the inside out." Were his words, meaning we're we're going to start in Tampa in the Bay Area and, and go outwardly. Um, and yes, he talked about you know being united that that's kind of his his mantra coming in um you know just united from start to finish i think is his little mantra and and he harped on that so you know just uh he he even he even summoned some names from the past he mentioned leroy selman and he thanked all of the the usf coaches who preceded him mentioned them by name jim levitt skip holtz charlie strong willie taggart so yeah he 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 won day one there's no question about that he really did. He was impressive, and and I think the whole you know um, acknowledgement is also a, maybe a recognition. There really has been a, a disconnect, I guess, between the you know the the program and its boosters, right? No question, and, and you know um, that's just something that Charlie wasn't particularly for whatever reason just didn't do. And I've I've had some administrators, not Michael Kelly, but other administrators say, hey, you know, we've really tried to harp on Charlie, this is something that needed to be done. And um, whether it just wasn't his forte or something he didn't really care about doing, you know, it is what it is. But like I said, somebody must have briefed Jeff Scott very well, or he must have had been very cognizant of, you know, what this program's about and what it needs at this point in its existence, because he hit on it. He said, you know, I need your help. I need your help right now. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go out and engage donors and Lalo Prado, who's one of Michael Kelly's lieutenants at USF and, you know, one of the fundraising guys, he said, Hey, Lalo Prado's also already hit me up to be an iron bull. You know, one of the prominent uh, booster levels, he said, um, he's, he's already wanting me to sign my check. And, you know, that's um, that kind of elicited a laugh, but, you know, he was on point with that about engaging the donor base and getting everybody to buy into USF because they've got to build that, football facility it's essential so and and you know just he talked about also rick just engaging the student body and the academic side of usf they've had a real problem especially in their greek system the last few years Mm -hmm. every season opener almost every season opener there is a conflict with a major greek you know rush event and that you know for that's kept students from being able to go to the season opener um, I don't I don't know that it's anybody's fault or whose fault it is. But, you know, th- that you talk about your disconnects. That's been a real issue. So, you know, he talked about just engaging the students and the student body and the student organizations. So he came in very prepared. He, he knew what he needed to address. He knew what that crowd needed to hear. And he preached it, brother. Uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, trait to be that prepared if he can do that during his games. And, of course, he has a, a terrific background for that. Michael Kelly and, and USF kind of made it clear that this was the guy. I mean, look, there was probably a lot of people that were interested in this job. Um, they did decide to get a guy who's on his way up. Um, but, look, he's been co-offensive coordinator at, at uh, Clemson. He's got lots of recommendations from, from Dabo Sweeney and others. Um, this this they, It really feels like, Joey, that um, they – they did their, you know, they did their research and, and they got a guy that probably a lot of, a lot of programs would be interested in. 
Yeah, and um, Michael Kelly told our columnist, John Romano, that Jeff Scott's been on his uh, radar since he was about 14 years old. His, his father, Brad, led South Carolina to the CarQuest Bowl in the early 90s, and that's the first bowl victory in South Carolina history. I think that was Brad mm -hmm. Scott's first year as South Carolina coach, and he just remembers seeing kind of Jeff Scott tagging along, holding his father's headphone cord, you know, on the sidelines and things <laughs> like that. And um, so, you know, we're talking almost a quarter century. He's known about this guy. And you, if you really think about it, Jeff Scott is 38 years old. He'll be 39 later, later this month. But he's almost about 50 in coaching years because this is what he's wanted to do all his life. And his first coaching mm -hmm. gig was at age 23 at a high school in South Carolina. Not a little private school, a large high school of about 1,400 people, Blythewood High School outside of Columbia. And their principal could have had a ton of interest in that job when that school opened. And she chose 23-year-old math teacher Jeff Scott just because he had been an offensive coordinator at a nearby school. She was impressed at what how he engaged kids as a math teacher. She took a chance on him. And his first year, JV program, because, uh, you know, first year school wasn't varsity yet. JV program, they went 10-0. and 0. The next year, their first year as a varsity program, they lost their first, first game. Then won 14 in a row and won the state title. And we're talking a large school. So mm. you're talking a guy who's, you know, had developing head coaching chops at age 23, 24, and now he's 38 or 39. And even before, before that, I mean, he... This, this is a guy who knew he wanted to be a coach since probably, you know, before he knew the alphabet. That's just something that he always wanted to do. His brother, his brother, John, who was a surgeon in Michigan, told me that they even have a little running joke in the family because Jeff used to tell his dad, hey, dad, I want to go recruiting with you because he didn't know how to pronounce recruiting. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the, like the funny little inside joke in their family. When are we going to go recruiting? Because that's how Jeff Scott <laughs> pronounced it. It's, you know. This, as long as he's been able, he's been tagging along on recruiting trips with his dad. So, again, he's a young guy, but, I mean, he's kind of a football lifer already, if you know what I mean. Uh, here's a guy that's a head coach at a major university, and he's not even, like, the most uh, accomplished guy in his family, which is really saying something. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about uh, – you know, I thought one of the things you wrote, Joey, that was interesting to me and, – and I – look, I – this might sound good. Maybe it's a sound bite, but, but if it's true, it's interesting. What did Dabo Sweeney tell him about the USF job? Dabo called him early last week. And think about it, Rick. You talk about the timeline and how Jeff was probably Michael Kelly's first choice. Charlie got fired on a, on a Sunday, and Jeff said last week, early last week. So if early last week is Monday or Tuesday, Michael Kelly was already kind of homing in on Jeff Scott. But anyway... Jeff said Dabo called him late one night last week, early last week, and he said, hey, boy, what you doing? And Jeff said, well, coach, I just got home. I'm about to get a shower, clean up, get some rest. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what. I just got a call from Michael Kelly at the University of South Florida, and that is a job that you want. Great recruiting base, a great athletic director to work for, just a, a, a great city. That's a job you want to go after. And mm. that's what Dabo told him. And I've come to learn, you know, since then, just talking to some people that Jeff had some other options. I don't know where, but he's definitely had some other options, coaching options before this. But this one, you know, 
he just um, this is kind of one he had his eye on that he felt was, you know, sleeping giant is a term that I think is overused, but has seen what USF is capable of being from its past, what it did with Levitt, uh, where it's located. And this is something he's always had his eye on. And when Dabo called him and made that phone call, that just kind of reinforced everything. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, and maybe Dabo had a hand in this, but, may- but maybe not. Maybe this is just uh, how much they think of of, of Jeff, that his uh, co-coordinator, Tony Elliott, and, and Tyler Grissom also were there. Um, of course, Artavia Scott, who played at East Lake High School that he recruited to Clemson, was there. So how impressive was it? What did, what did it mean, do you think, that, uh, that these guys would take the time, as busy as they are, of course, they just have a – a national championship to play for to come down and support him like that. Oh, I think that means a lot for the individual Jeff Scott. That again, like you said, that these guys, you know, as they're preparing, for, you know, to play for a national championship, take time out from their recruiting and their schedules to come, come down to Florida and be with him on this day. And something else, uh, Jeff's brother told me. He said, you know, if you listened, uh, Jeff got kind of emotional his voice broke a little bit when he talked mm-hmm. about leaving clemson and what that meant to him not just because yeah. that's his alma mater not just because that's where he met his wife but you know that staff is is pretty stable for the most part and not only have they experienced the highs together they've experienced some lows too because it was kind of rocky in davos first few years and just when you you know when you go through the go through the fires of life with, with somebody you you I mean, you, you know, you learn who your friends really are. So these are guys who have just kind of fought the battles together, uh, the good times and the bad times. And, you know, they truly are family. So that was indicative by those guys showing up at his presser today and by Jeff just really getting emotional when he talked about what the Clemson family meant to him. Well, and I'm not look, I'm not going to suggest that USF is a is is a Clemson, um, you know, a budding Clemson themselves, but. Um, you're right. Look, when Dabo took over, it, it was it was not the program it is now, to say the very least. And that experience of of taking something and and building it to what it is now has to have helped, you know, recognize just sort of the hurdles and how to get through them, and and how important staff is and sticking together and all those things. I don't know how long he's going to be here, but. Um, he knows he knows how to do this. He's had a front row seat, um, and, and and I would think there's got to be a lot of influence that Sweeney has on him right now. No question, and not only Sweeney, but again, we talk about him being a football lifer. His dad, yeah, who his was dad, Bobby yeah. Bowden's coordinator for years, and just right. you know, he may not have had a front row seat to Bobby Bowden, but he had a peripheral seat to where he was around mm. that program, and he watched you know probably as a yeah. teenager and. You know, he, yeah. he watched how things were done. So, you know, you talk about you talk about Bowden, you talk about his father and you talk about Dabo, you know, who set the blueprint for him just about, you know, how you um, how you fight through adversity, how you recruit, how you prepare, how you practice. You know, Jeff, mm-hmm. Jeff played for Clemson. He, he was he played for Tommy Bowden, but Dabo was there. So, you know, he knows all about that culture and, you know, just not only from a coach's perspective, but from a player's perspective. He was a walk-on, a seldom-used walk-on. So he, he's seen it from all angles, and not only at Clemson again, but from FSU. So, again, this is a guy who's just, who's just taken years. You know, he's only 38 years old, but, you know, you're talking about maybe 30 years of just being immersed in that life mm-hmm. 
in, in a coach's life. And it's something he's always wanted to do. And he's processed it. And he's put things away and he's filed things away. And, you know, he was just waiting for the right opportunity in his time. And, you know, I, I really believe his time, his time is now. I believe this is a, this is a good, I don't want to call it marriage because we don't know how long he's going to be here, but mm -hmm. I think Jeff Scott's the right guy at the right time for USF. He's a play caller. Um, mm -hmm. He's done that obviously uh, at Clemson, um, you know, with Elliot, but uh, how, how involved, like, will he be the play caller here Will he hire an offensive coordinator? What's his plan on that side of the ball? No, he said he's going to hire an offensive coordinator, but obviously he will be very heavily involved with the game plan. And, of course, on game day when there are decisions to be made, he, he said, I'm going to trust my instincts and my gut. And mm -hmm. I'm going to have to make those tough decisions. But, no, he's going, he's going to have a coordinator, kind of like, you know, Dabo, I think, is is very involved with the, uh, with the offense at Clemson, but he has co-coordinators. He had Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott. So, I, I'm sure, you know, Jeff has also learned, you know, and this is probably goes beyond Dabo. This goes back to Bobby Bowden. You hire good people of integrity that you trust and you let them coach. You coach your coaches. And that's something that that I heard a couple of times a day. So, you know, he knows how to delegate and, you know, he knows when to intervene and when to back off and let his guys coach. I, I get that sense. And so, I, you know, I, I think he will be, you know, just good at delegating and um, knowing just when to, when to interject when necessary. But yeah, he will definitely have a coordinator. Now who that is, um, there's no telling. Uh, he's still got to, he, he's still going to be with Clemson through its playoff run. So yeah. they start preparations Friday. So he'll be back up in, up at Clemson and then he'll come back um, probably late next week, early next week. I forgot the timeline he mentioned and he'll meet with the current USF assistants and just talk to them and, and, kind of assess them and uh, start, you know, putting together his staff, you know, around that time. So it's going to be um, it's going to be kind of a process here as he balances two jobs because he has made a commitment to stay with Clemson through its playoff run. It's a difficult balancing act. We've seen some people do it successfully and, and others like Lane Kiffin, maybe not so much. Um, <laughs> Kurt, you know, Kerwin Bell is the off was the offensive coordinator, of course, under Charlie Strong. Um, is he somebody he would talk to? And do and you think there'll be some some staff members that might be retained? I think so. I think Kerwin will get a look. You know, I, I think, you know, Jeff will give him a, a serious look. Um, I'll tell you what, one thing going in Kerwin's favor. I mean, the results speak for themselves. You are who you are. They're four and eight and their offense from you know, a total offense perspective statistically was the worst in the American Athletic Conference this year. But those guys to the very end believe in Kerwin. Um, and they'll tell you, I've had conversations with some of those guys on the record and off the record. They, they really believe it can work. You know, Kerwin had some things going against him. He had a rookie quarterback. Um, he had uh, his offensive line wasn't just quite what everybody expected. He really didn't have his kind of playmakers and receivers that, that, you know, that he feels are best suited for his system. He had to go with what he inherited. Um, his tailback, his leading rusher was gone for the last couple of games. So he was hamstrung a little bit, and he'll be the first to tell you his system takes a little bit of time. It's kind of a complex pro-style thing where you're throwing to spots, and there's a lot of timing involved. But the, the guys believe in it. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Kerwin stayed on in some kind of capacity because I, I think Jeff probably has some respect for his offensive mind. 
I could see a guy like Sean King sticking around, you know, the former Bucks quarterback, Gibbs High standout, who's been kind of the ace recruiter uh, for, um, for USF the last few years. Jeff obviously knows this area very well, and I'm sure he'll bring in other people who know this area very well. But I think Sean King is definitely an asset from a recruiting perspective and, you know, as a, as a quarterback teacher. So uh, those two guys, I, uh, you know, I see getting a serious look. I don't know about. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The, um, the other guys on, on the staff, but, you know, if I were a wagering man, I, I would say those two probably have the best chance, you know, at this point in time. What do you think the reaction uh, has been or will be uh, among all these high school coaches in the Tampa Bay area? We know how much talent is, is in this area and how many of them go to other to other schools. I don't know, you know, necessarily you could speak to this better than I can, whether, um, you know, the same sort of relationship existed with Charlie. But this is a guy – who actively recruited players to Clemson from Tampa Bay. He, he, he would imagine he has really strong relationships with these coaches, and that's, that's got to be the key to this thing, right, Joey? Oh, no doubt. And, you know, I think it's important to note his co-coordinator, Tony Elliott, was the primary Bay Area recruiter, but they got mm-hmm. so many skill receiver-type guys from this area that, you know, Jeff Scott was the receiver's coach, so he came down and helped recruit also because, you know, he's recruiting sure. for his position. So he was in the, the living room of Ray Ray McLeod and Artavis mm-hmm. Scott and Dion Kane from Tampa Bay Tech. So mm-hmm. he's been down here an awful lot and he's developed some relationships. So that's that's critical. Um, the people, the coaches I've talked to, I've talked to, to about a half dozen prominent ones. And I've, you know, the ones who, who know him and have worked with him, it just said glowing things about him um, for whatever reason. Charlie was a little bit polarizing in the Bay Area. Willie was a lot polarizing before him in the Bay Area, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy, you know, I, doesn't necessarily come in with a clean slate because he, he's been recruiting in this area for years. But I, I've just not come across anybody with anything cross to say about him. Quite the contrary, you know. Oh, this guy, the things I hear, you know, this guy, you, you'll love him. He's, he's got his priorities in order. He's a down-to-earth guy. He's treated my kids great. Um, you know, he, he showed my kids that he really cared about him and wanted them at Clemson, and he was prepared with his presentation. Those are the kinds of things I've heard about Jeff Scott so far. So uh, when he says he's going to recruit Tampa from the inside out, uh, I, I tend to believe him. I tend to believe this is a guy who's, you know, Got, got a lot of integrity, which you can't say about every college coach in the country nowadays. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll bring some other guys who are familiar with the area. That only stands to reason. But, yeah, he'll hit the ground running as far as local recruiting is concerned. So we know that the, the, the big thing, of course, is, is getting an indoor facility, getting funding for that, getting it built, getting them on a, a level playing field in, in, in terms of facilities. 
that aside, let's remove that, and you, it's really a big, a big deal. What, what is the biggest obstacle you think that that um, Jeff is going to face? I mean, what is, what are some of the things that he's going to have to overcome um, in a short time here to be successful? A couple of things. First of all, the fact that the American Athletic Conference has gotten a lot better through the years. Yeah, it um, is. Mm-hmm. You know, you just look over on the on the other side of the conference. Well, it's the the divisions are are going away, but you know SMU is on the rise. Right. Memphis is mm-hmm. who they are. Tulane mm-hmm. is a is a better program. I think Tulsa is going to be a lot better. And then of course you know Cincinnati and uh, Temple and UCF, of course. So Jeff Scott's coming into really the sixth best conference in America, and I don't think there's any there's any doubt about it. You got the Power Five, and then close behind them is is the sure. American Athletic Conference. So. He's got to deal with that. Plus, you know, he's just got, got to deal with the transition just in terms of recruiting. Uh, this appears to be a pretty modest recruiting class. You know, he's, he's got to hit the ground running. Will he be able to retain the 13 or 15 guys that committed to Charlie Strong? And how effectively is he going to use the transfer portal? I think the portal is going to be really, really critical for him just like it was for Charlie Strong. Charlie did a great job replenishing his roster and filling his areas with need with the transfer portal. I could see Jeff Scott doing the same thing. As a matter of fact, an all-purpose back from from South Carolina, from the Gamecocks, has already uh, announced on social media that he's transferring to USF. So I could see a lot more of that. But just um, stabilizing the roster, salvaging this recruiting class upcoming, the initial signing day is next Wednesday. And uh, just, you know, realizing you're coming into a really good conference uh, that's gotten significantly better in the last two or three years. I think those are the two biggest challenges for Jeff Scott in, in 2020. What do we know about his contract, Joey? And, and, and realistically, if he is successful, um, how long can USF expect to, to retain him? His, his contract is five years, 12.5. He'll get about 2.8 in total in year one. That includes kind of a de facto signing bonus of 500 grand that he'll get next month. Um, and over the course of five years, it, it equates to about 12.5. The buyout is somewhere in the neighborhood of about 2.5. If he leaves for a job before December 31st of 2020, uh, he's got to pay USF 2.5. And then in year two, I think he's got to pay 2.25 if he leaves after two seasons. So mm-hmm. kind of, uh, I'm, you know, you think if he got a gig at the at a Power 5 job, you know, $2.5 million buyout, a booster could find that, you know, under the, the covers of their sofa. <laughs> so that's not terribly significant. But, you know. A lot of people have asked, you know, a lot of fans, especially, you know, we're going to have to be doing this again in two or three years. I can just see it now. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's USF not, no. right now is who they are. They are a group of five program that does not possess power five money. Now, I believe in my lifetime they will become a power conference. I believe that mm-hmm. another significant round of realignment is on the horizon someday. But right now they are who they are. And they've got to follow, follow the model of like a Memphis, of a Boise, of a UCF, where you bring in a guy on the rise who's smart, who's respective, who's going to grind, you know, 18, 20 hours a day to try to lift your program to a certain level. And if Jeff Scott does that, 
if he, you know, gets him to nine or 10 wins next year, maybe wins a conference title in year two and he gets snagged away, you know what you do? You bring in the next guy who's who's on the rise and who can maintain that. That's that's you know that's the model I think USF has to follow because that's who they are right now. This is not necessarily a destination job where you can pay somebody you know five six million a year and you know go out and have a reasonable chance to compete for a national title. Maybe they will be someday, but at this point of USF's existence. If Jeff Scott leaves in two or three years, that means he's done something good. That means people want him. And then you go find the next Jeff Scott. Yeah, I think that's a, a great recognition by Michael Kelly about who they are and, and preferring to have a coach on his way up than necessarily one on his way down. Speaking of which, this is my transition, <laughs> uh, Willie Taggart, uh, who uh, was once, you know, somebody that expressed an interest in his old job at USF, of course, the Florida state coach fired about five or six weeks ago, uh, is going to be named or has been named the new head coach at Florida Atlantic university where Lane Kiffin was before he took the job at Ole Miss. This is a step below the AAC. Um, so what is Willie thinking? What, what is, what, what, you know, Willie pretty well, like what is the mm-hmm. mindset here? I think Willie just wants to coach again. I think he yeah. also wants to coach his son, who is a um, is a pretty talented quarterback. He led his team in Tallahassee to the uh, to the state championship game this year. They didn't win it, but they reached the state final. I just mm-hmm. I think Willie's just wants to coach, and I think he wants to coach his son, and probably you know probably redeem himself a little bit. Probably the the FSU experience was a little bit humbling, and I think Willie probably for lack of a better term, has a chip on his shoulder and wants to wants to coach again. Um, and he's going to get an opportunity right away to coach against USF because the Bulls go down to Boca Raton September 26th of next year. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Have a great road trip if you want to. Um, so <laughs> that, that's going to be very interesting right out of the gate. But, no, I, I you know, he wanted to come back to Tampa. I, I know that for a fact. He was interested in this job, and I know some – you know, Michael Kelly and associates conducted this search. Some of the associates reached out to Willie and they had conversations. He loved Tampa. He just loves living in Tampa. You know, he's a Bradenton guy. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, he kind of wanted to maybe come back and and build his retirement home or live in his retirement home in Tampa and just, you know, really kind of establish roots this time around. But it didn't work out that way. USF went in another direction. So, I think Willie just wants to coach again, wants to coach his kid, and probably wants to prove a little something. Well, it's it's been a fascinating couple of weeks, of course, with, with all the uh, coaching changes and and uh, none as exciting, I think, uh, certainly locally than than Jeff Scott, who seems, as you've just uh, said, a, a perfect fit for where USF is right now and the energy uh, that they need from their head coach. So you can read. All about Jeff Scott and maybe a little bit about Willie Taggart as well in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com from Joey Knight, who covers USF. Thanks, Joey. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right, Diana Neros joins us now. And the Lightning currently 15, 11, and 3, 33 points. They're in sixth place in the Atlantic Division. Diana, uh, about a third of the way through the season, just sort of maybe a broad question, but how how would you assess their play right now? I would assess it as – Good, fine, could be better. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we need to panic. That sixth place, as we talked about last week, um, is uh, affected by their fewer games played than the rest of the division. So um, when adjusted for that, they're in playoff contention, but they're not putting everything together the way they want to be to be successful at that point. So I'm still not panicking. Um, you know, the game against the Panthers was a really good game. They played a defensive, responsive, responsible defensive game and didn't have any of those costly mistakes. They poured on 48 shots. Sure, you'd like to see more goals out of 48 shots, but what are you going to do when a goaltender makes those saves? Um, you know, they did everything they needed to do to win. And uh, the only the downside was that uh, Andre Vasilevsky has now twice in the past week uh, missed out on a shutout by one late goal in a way yeah. that just kind of, you, ah, you know, what, what's it going to take kind of feeling, you know, one really good tip or one really well-placed shot uh, against the Sharks and then last night. But they played a good game and they've been mostly playing close to that game, but making costly mistakes in the past like week or so. So if they can eliminate the mistakes the way that we saw them do against the Panthers, then they're playing great. If they keep making mistakes, then they're playing fine, could be better. Right. And they're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to do that and, and, and play well uh, at home soon. Now, they've lost six in regulation at home this year. Last year, of course, a record season. They lost only seven total. But now, you know, here comes – of course, Boston and and Washington, two of the better teams in hockey. So, can can what they did in Florida uh, sort of carry over? You think to that to those series? Yeah, I think it does. I think you know, anytime you are able to put together all the things you've talked about, it just even though you knew you needed them to put them mm-hmm. together and see it all work, gives you that boost. Uh, now they have two of their toughest opponents and also at the end of a very busy week. So there's a, this is no easy uh, next couple games here um, with, as you said, the Bruins and the Capitals coming to town. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how they play. The Bruins are interesting right now because they were the hottest team. uh, One of, if not the hottest team in the league. And then they, uh, their eight game win streak fell in overtime to Chicago then they lost to Colorado. Okay, Colorado's great. Um, then they lost to Ottawa. Uh, wait, what? And so now uh, we're seeing some um, some bumps for the Bruins right now. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, they could also be coming into this game with a little fire to, holy heck, what are we doing? We need to turn this around. Um, or maybe they're rattled and kind of, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how the Bruins look uh, in this game on Thursday. The Lightning are coming off a win. The Bruins coming off a loss. And it's a little little interesting. Yeah, certainly you'd like to play uh, well in front of your home crowd. Um, you know, it, this this whole sort of narrative have been that uh, they're, they're trying to play better defensively, more responsible um, you know, through the blue line. But, you know, when you look at how they're constructed, Diana, they, they lost Strawman and Girardi. They replaced them with Shattenkirk and Shen. Maybe those guys aren't as good defensively. They're, they're very good offensively as defensemen. But are, are, I guess the larger question is, do you think they're capable of kind of playing this style the way they're constructed? I think so. Um, I would say Shen 
plays a kind of more physical defensive game. And Shattenkirk's clearly known for his offense, but it's not like mm-hmm. he's a liability defensively or anything. Um, yeah. I think the big thing is that it's not so much the defensemen, although the defensemen are clearly part of it, um, but it's kind of an overall mindset of take care of our own end first and build out from that. Whereas you have so much skill on this team that there's a little bit of tweaking of instincts to, you know, make a big skilled play when, okay, first you need to take care of this and make sure you're getting out, you know, your clear is clean to create that big offensive play you can go do, not rush into it. So I think that's where, um, you know, the fact that they're built with all of this offensive skill um, just takes, it's not a full changing of instincts. Nobody has to completely change their style, um, but it's just some of those tweaks. And, you know, last night, Steven Stamkos scored a great goal on the four track. Well, that's not really a thing I say about Steven Stamkos a lot, but <laughs> he's playing, he was playing with Anthony Sorelli and Alex Kalorn. Those are two guys who were big on the four check. Stamkos was in with them on the four check and scored a great goal. So, you know, those are your opportunities um, where you can see those kinds of defensive responsibility turning into goals without him needing to change who he is as a player but maybe take advantage of opportunities to do some different things. Right. And, and, you know, Stamkos, uh, you mentioned him, he is sort of heating up, if you will. So it's sort of what's behind that is he, a, he's a streaky player in, in a, in a way anyway, right? Well, I think he's, um, I guess when I think of streaky, I think of prone to long droughts, which I don't That's think true. of with Stamkos just because he's got too much volume. Um, yeah. But yeah, he is prone to little runs or sometimes big mm. runs. And we're definitely seeing mm. one of those in the past few games here. We've got, what, four goals in three games. Um, and he was the only one to score uh, against the Islanders, the first one to score last night. And that's really what you want from your goal scorer. So he's right. um, you know, doing exactly what he does for the lightning and it's always a good sign when you see your your star players fit into those roles and especially as i said with him also you know scoring off the four check and kind of it's not like he's he's scoring and but it's not oh we've gone we're only seeing stamkos do what stamkos does you know you're seeing the the kind of full picture here and that's even more encouraging than just the pure number of uh seeing the goals in the past few games here Right, they've they've got a couple injuries to to be a little concerned about, I guess. Uh, what's what's sort of the latest on Braden Colburn and uh, Colburn and uh, and Tyler Johnson? We are. Uh, it sounds like we're still a ways off from seeing Colburn. Um, he is quote progressing, but he has not mm-hmm. returned to the ice. Uh, we don't have an update on Tyler Johnson at this point. He left the game early against the Sharks. Did not play against the Islanders or uh, the Panthers. He's uh, was seen in a walking boot after the game against the Sharks. Cooper said he expected him to miss the next couple of games, but they're playing a lot of games in a short period of time, so that's not exactly a clear description. Um, we don't right. usually get clear descriptions, so not it's hockey, uh, no. a little bit to be seen on um, when we're going to see him back and if that's going to be a long-term thing or not. 
I like what we've seen out of Mitchell Stevens, who's not going right. to fill Tyler Johnson's role. But as far as, you know, injuries, giving somebody a chance, uh, he mm-hmm. had a good first game, you know, good use of his speed, which is his strength on the four track. And um, so it's kind of interesting to see what he can do. They would love to get Tyler Johnson back, but um, it's nice to see a somebody come up and get a, a rookie debut and um, kind of take advantage of it like he's doing right now. Yeah, a lot of talent down on the farm, as they say. Uh, you know, we, we were talked. I think we talked last time about John Cooper going sort of with that 11-7 lineup for a couple of weeks now, sort of back to the, the, the 12-6. What, what is he – what does he like about each, and, and what do you think we'll see more of going forward? Well, he said that the return to the 12-6 was uh, somewhat lineup-based, and I I think the regularity of a 12-6 helps. Um, they liked that they were mix, able to mix things up and play with matchups um, with the 11-7, since obviously neither of those numbers creates regular lines or D-pairs. But I think um, the regularity of 12-6 helps with the rhythm, of guys playing together and kind of reacting together and everything. I mean, anybody can play with anyone, but Mm. I do think it just settles in a little bit differently there. Uh, But we could also see him bounce back to that 11-7. They did have some success with it. Uh, They also were doing that when they had eight healthy defensemen and they now have seven healthy defensemen. So um, that, that, you know, those, those lineup things go into it some as well. Uh, injuries always play a part of that. Um, you know, one guy that's uh, just shown up and shown out here is Alex Kalorn. He's having a career year as far as scoring goals. He's playing tremendous defense. We've seen him play well in the penalty kill and five-on-five. Five. So what the hell's gone on with Alex Kalorn, man? He's he's really playing well. He is just one of the more consistent players, and he's consistently strong um, in what he does, but he – doesn't play in those major offensive roles. And this year he's been playing in some of those roles more and that gives opportunity, but it also gives confidence. And so he said, he doesn't feel like he's doing anything all that different, but you know, we definitely are seeing a difference obviously. So I think it's just some of that that comes from, you know, when you're playing in those offensive focused roles, you get more chances, which gives you more goals, but also gives you more confidence to take a couple more shots when you're not necessarily in those perfect offensive situations and I think we're seeing all of that come together for for Kalorn here also and and, and another guy that we continue to talk about I think he's just going to be a star is Anthony Sorelli Uh, we're seeing him with more and more responsibility now you see him with some power play time uh, with some of the injuries they have he's one of their most complete guys at this point right yeah he is and um he goes with uh, his success and Kalorn's success kind of go together because the two of them, more than any other two players on this team, other than on back end looking at McDonough and Chernak, have played together consistently for the past year and plus, year and a third. Um, and so they are kind of getting the same increased offensive opportunities because they're always together. And so we're seeing that uh, go for both of them. But yeah, you look at what Anthony Sorelli does and um, he is still so young and you look at what he's going to be and uh, it's going to be fun to watch for sure. It definitely is. Um, you know, now that they're in a little bit more regular schedule, maybe this, this will help him. But and Andre Vasilevsky, uh, he played very well Tuesday night, as you mentioned, and um he hasn't been as sharp all season, okay? So what sort of – how do you assess his game at this point? 
You're right. He hasn't been as sharp. Um, it's interesting. I think the the regularity of this irregularity of the schedule has kind of thrown everyone off a little bit, not hugely, mm-hmm. but just enough. And um, I think we'll see. I think we will see the regularity help him. Um, he hasn't been playing poorly, but he's not playing up to his usual standard. And um, there hasn't been. He hasn't pulled out a game the way you you would expect a goalie of his caliber to do. So he's definitely been a little bit off. Um, I think he's not drastically off. You're not watching games where like you see four goals go in and you're just like, wow, Vasilevsky would never let those goals in. What's happening? So it's not like, oh my gosh, something's completely wrong. But yeah, there's just a little bit of a sense of that he's not quite as smooth in the crease as usual. Um so uh, I think we've seen the past couple games, we've seen that improving. Um, but he also has some games where he just, you know, some of those costly mistakes turn into absolute grade A chances that maybe he could steal a save off of, but are also, you know, grade A chances for a reason. So I think I feel like we've seen a couple much better games from Vasilevsky recently, just kind of smoother that uh, kind of can build some confidence and maybe we'll see that change coming. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been a little, a little off for him so far. Let me ask you this question because there's always going to be speculation about, you know, when teams don't play well, but we're not even to Christmas yet. Right. So we're still a couple of weeks from that. How's John Cooper ha- handling so, sort of the slow start? Um, is he taking it in stride? Is it, is it, is it annoying to him? I mean, just sort of what's been his, his demeanor on the bench and, and in the media. I think he is like the rest of the team, a little frustrated, though mostly mm-hmm. trying not to show it. It comes out. Mm-hmm. He uh, used the word unacceptable twice to describe the loss to the wild. And that's not his usual MO. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he is sticking to his idea that if they can address their defensive responsibility, they will be the team that they want to be. And, I'm not sure he's entirely wrong about that, but it's the getting it uh, in place that has been a little sporadic and making it consistent. And, um, you know, when the team's playing really well, except for some mistakes on the ice, it's kind of a a weird situation of, you know, that's not a system thing that broke down to make mistakes. You know, it's, it's, but you are also the coach. So, you know, how do you address that and how do you, um, you know, especially because this has been a recurring theme. So I think that's what makes this a little different is that or not, you know, just a little um, not. Pure, I think that's what makes this not totally black and white, that the system isn't necessarily what's failing. Um, but the managing of people part, which is what he says, the biggest part of his job is, um, you know, I think probably the, the, the what, I don't know, any tweaks or whatever needs to be addressed is on that side of things more than X's and O's uh, as they bring this team together. They've got a lot of games coming up at home. I mean, we've been talking about this home stretch, but boy, um, you know, these next, what, seven or eight games, most of them, most of them right here in Tampa Bay. So important stretch for the lightning before they head into Christmas, right? Yeah, definitely. This is a chance to get some of those wins, um, move up a little bit in the standings. You, you've got to win the home games. And, you know, as you as we addressed before, that's been a little bit of a thing for them uh, so far. But, um, 
yeah, you, you want to win a few of these to, you know, get your spot in the standings, get your games played up, get into that rhythm. This is this is the chance to address all of those things. Tampa Bay Lightning will host the Boston Bruins. That is tonight. Then on Saturday, it's the Washington Capitals. The next week, they got Ottawa, of course, and Dallas coming here. Busy week, and uh, Diana Neros will have it all for you on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks, Diana. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Joey and Diana. Of course, the Lightning play the Boston Bruins tonight. That'll be a big one at Emily Arena. And then, of course, on Saturday, it's the Washington Capitals. I'll sit down with my buddy cop Eduardo Encina. We're going to break down the Bucks at the Detroit Lions as they go for their fourth win in a row on tomorrow's podcast. And, hey, folks, I know your electric bill is still going nuts, whether you're running the heat or the air or maybe both in the same week. Here's what you need to do. If you want to start saving money now, call my friends at May Electric Solar. They're a locally owned company. It's the best solar available. If you call right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019, uh, which just gives you about uh, half a month to go by changing to solar energy. So call the Real May Electric at 727-819-2862. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.